and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional therapist with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and I woke up feeling a little dorty today. A little dorty. Mm-hmm. A little crabby. Oh. I didn't sleep well. It was hot. I was just telling you our power went out. I don't know if it was because it was like too many people using AC or something right now, because it's been Maybe. hot. It has been hot. Yeah, um, but yeah, so I didn't sleep well, but <clears throat> I'm okay. I'm going to try not to let my crabbiness interfere with our part two of Diane Downs. I'm sorry, part three. Yeah, we're on part three <laughs> now. Diane Downs. She is who thought that she goes along, but for not there's, a serial killer. Right, but there's so much to say. There is. Before we say it, my question for you, Courtney, is a pretty generic question, but have you done anything this summer, and do you have any other plans if you haven't done anything this summer yet? Well, I haven't really done anything too exciting this summer yet, mostly just reading and taking walks around places, but I am really looking forward to next weekend I'm going down to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival to see a couple of plays with a friend. And so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival is a pretty big thing um, here. And it's been going on for a long time. Like, I know since I was a kid. Right. Yeah, I think it's like over 25 years. It's down in Ashland, which is a really cute, pretty area of Oregon near like the California border. But I haven't been to the festival before. So I went once when I was like a teenager, Mm -hmm. um, but haven't been back since then. What are you going to see? We are going to see, I believe, Romeo and Juliet. Oh. And we're going to see Rent. Which Which is not Shakespeare. Yeah. But (laughs) they do Um, kind of a mixture of Shakespeare and like modern plays. Well, that'll be fun. I've seen Rent two or three times. Um, I don't know that I've seen a live Romeo and Juliet, but I've definitely seen many other versions as you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they do modern interpretations of Shakespeare too. Um, so I'm not sure if this is going to be like a traditional kind mm. of Romeo and Juliet or more modernized. Like with we'll different see. language? Like different language or like changing up the time period, gotcha. the, the settings, that kind of thing. Okay, cool. It sounds like fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. What about you? Um, well, I went to Reno for my birthday, which I'd not been to Reno before in the summer, and I liked it. It wasn't it wasn't I always went in the winter at Super Bowl when it was freezing and there was snow on the ground. <laughs> so it was nice going when it was sunny and warm and I hung out by the pool. I gambled but didn't do well. Um, but we were there for like 3 days, so it was a short trip, but it was fun. We drove there and back. <laughs> gotta go see you know when you part of that drive's really boring but part of it's really pretty right on mm-hmm. the way there though we went at night oh. um, and there were at least 45 deer like standing in the middle of one of the freeways um in between california and nevada it was actually kind of scary but <clears throat> but also kind of cool more scary yeah <laughs> because it was like you couldn't go at all fast because they were just everywhere right um but we didn't hit anything and we got there and um, next week, or yeah, this is Sunday. Next week, I'm going back east to visit my family in Philadelphia. So, very fun. That will be a good time. I haven't been there since COVID. Okay. I used to go a lot, you know, at least once a year. But yeah, this will be the first time since 2020 or 2019. 
so I'm excited to see them. And they have a new puppy and stuff and a swimming pool. Even better. Although it's supposed to be like thunder and lightning the whole time. Or like once a day, I guess the storms are just like really quick and then done. And it's still hot. Right. Yeah. Because they have all that humidity and stuff over there in the summer. so humid. They don't even have to like water their lawns and their lawns are green. Yeah. Because there's just water in the air. Yeah. So, yeah. But after that, um, I'm done for the summer. All right. Yeah. So... Okay, well, let us move on with our case. And Courtney, will you give us a recap? Yes, so in parts one and two of Diane Downs, we learned about Diane and her emotionally neglectful childhood and her being sexually abused by her father and her kind of early teen years. Then she ran off to college got kicked out of college, came back and married her high school sweetheart, but that didn't go exactly how she wanted to, and there was a lot of volatility there. But then she had three kids, which were the joy of her life. Then she got pregnant again, had an abortion, and then decided that she was going to be a surrogate. And so because her high school sweetheart husband was done having kids and she wanted to keep having them, he divorced her. And so we left off where she had just finished up her first surrogacy and handed the baby over. Yeah, and it's kind of unclear, like, who divorced who. They just, they ended up divorcing, though. Mm-hmm. And then, um, just to really piggyback, the her third baby, Danny, was actually after her abortion. Right. Yeah, because she was mm-hmm. trying to make up for right. the baby she aborted, and Steve refused to get a reversal, so she went and found someone else to be Danny's dad. Right, because he'd had a vasectomy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she, all over the place is kind of what we were seeing. Right. Yes, um, but enjoyed being pregnant. Yes, kind of <laughs> obsessed with being pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so at this point, Diane just completed her surrogacy requirement. You know, she handed over the baby. The the psychologists were concerned she might not be able to do this, but she did it. She got her $10,000, and she went home. Diane used the surrogacy money, and she bought a trailer for a new place to live because, as you just said, her and Steve were no longer together. And it was her for her and her three kids. She called themselves the Four Musketeers. So she was fully divorced from Steve, and her guilt over the abortion was now gone since she did the surrogacy. She was now taking some night classes to slowly make her dream of being a physician become a reality. Diane was really feeling pretty good about herself, and she was especially flirty with the men at work. It really didn't matter if they were married or single. In fact, it seemed like she preferred them to be married, with only one of all of the people that she flirted with or, you know, had relationships being single. Everyone else was married. A quote from the book. She attracted her lovers easily by being available, submissive, and gigglingly flirtatious. But her relationships floundered when intimacy began and her compliant exterior cracked and fell away. Men who expected a bubbly cheerleader were understandably turned off when they found themselves alone with a dominatrix who could and often did draw blood. Courtney, does this sound like typical um, HPD behavior? So Diane is definitely displaying behaviors that you would see in someone with histrionic personality disorder, um, which we talked about kind of more in depth in the last episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the main traits of HPD is that in interactions with others, the person really leads with sexuality. That is like the number one thing. 
Um, And it's the only way really that they know how to connect with others. So once the flirtation part is over, Diane would not know how to build a more solid connection beyond sex. And so, you know, beyond knowing that men respond to sensuality and flirtation and sex, once Diane got that attention that she was craving from them, she really didn't have much interest in what her partners wanted or cared about. It was always all about her. One of her ex-lovers shared a time, uh, perhaps the only time that he was intimate with Diane. She scratched the shit out of him. He asked her to stop. She did so for a minute, but then started up again. He got angry, put his clothes on, and then she laughed at him. He felt that she was angry at all men and wanted to castrate them. She would be with a man for a while, basically until she got too intense, either in the bedroom or with her suggesting that they should leave their wives for her. So then the men would duck out of the situation. She would just shrug it off and move on to the next. The last man at the Chandler, Arizona post office that she really set her eyes on was Robert Knickerbocker. So in Small Sacrifices, I was really confused on this, um, Anne Rule changed the name to Lou Lewiston, but at this point, he is all over the internet <laughs> because Diane did all the interviews and everything like that. And she even called, hit, um, in that Oprah interview, called um, Anne Rule out for changing all the names. Uh, so I'm just going to use his real name. What do you think about her hurting her lovers physically, Courtney? So we talked a little bit last week about how Diane used sex as a tool to get what she wants, but that she actually did not really like sex and it was connected to the trauma she experienced as a child at the hands of her dad. So with that in mind, it tracks that she would kind of enjoy causing physical pain to her lovers as sort of a punishment for the way they and all men in her life were using her body. So that guy was probably spot on when he said that she wanted to castrate all men. (laughs) subconsciously anyways I think so well Diane was noted to be wearing like this and I'm not shaming any woman for what they want to wear but this is not appropriate work attire especially at the post office yes um she would wear cut off shirts with t-shirts that were cut off with no bra underneath so if she like lifted her arms over her head her boobs would be exposed um so this definitely got Robert Knickerbocker's attention and of course Robert was married All the more reason Diane seemed to want him. Robert was attracted to Diane's body, but he also appreciated how smart she was because she was really smart. They agreed to enter into a lighthearted fling. Now, Robert had a vasectomy at a pretty early age. He made it clear he was not interested in having kids. So their affair started and it lasted for several months. Robert wanted to be kept on the down low, like the affair on the down low, but Diane pretty much told everyone about it at work. So it was common knowledge at that post office. Diane wanted Robert to leave his wife, of course, and Rob reminded her he did not want to have kids and he did not want to leave his wife. Diane said they'd figure out a way for the kids not to bother them. That fall, in fact, she kind of gave the kids like custody over to Steve. So this was in 1982. Diane was working full-time and going to school full-time during, during this period, and she was planning on doing another surrogacy. She kind of had no time for Robert, and she had even less time for her, ki- for her kids, whom she didn't really seem that interested in at this point. Um, when she would see them like the kids, it was noted that in public they were shabbily dressed and Diane would make them feel uncomfortable by asking them things like, do you love me more than your dad? 
which is an awkward question. Um, anyway, she decided that she would drop out of school because she just didn't have enough time to do you know, everything she was doing and get Robert to leave his wife for her. That's my interpretation of why she did that anyhow. At one point, Robert did come clean to his wife when it was possible that he had a venereal disease. She, the, the, the wife, stuck with Robert through it all. Diane's second attempt at surrogacy was unsuccessful. When she landed at the airport after the failed insemination, she had expected Robert to be there to pick her up. He was not there. Steve was, though, and uh, they got into a huge fight. They had kind of gotten back together a few times throughout all of this chaos, but it usually ended badly with Steve beating up Diane or vice versa. This time, she was really wrecked. She was so upset, most likely about Robert not picking her up at the airport, that she started to scratch her own face and make it bleed, and she was talking about suicide. When they got to Steve's trailer, Diane grabbed a gun and locked herself in the bathroom. She got into the bathtub and fired the gun. Steve forced his way in, and Diane said, quote, I can't kill myself, Steve, but I can kill you. Steve got the gun away from her, and that ended that. Now, the author of the book, Anne Rule, speculates that Diane was indeed very suicidal. She felt Robert, Diane felt that Robert had abandoned her and that she had given up so much to be with him. I mean, she quit school. She hadn't dated any other men. She had even, like, basically let Steve take the kids. And it wasn't enough for him. She wasn't enough for him. This is what she's feeling. Courtney, what do you think? I completely agree with, with Anne Rule that Diane likely was very depressed and suicidal as a result of these kind of compounding disappointments. Diane got pretty much all of her self-esteem and self-worth from two primary places, the love and attention from men and from pregnancy and motherhood. So when the insemination failed and then Robert did not show up for her, it would have been devastating to her. Without those two things in her life, she was, at least in her own mind, worthless. Well, Robert did end up resuming the affair with Diane, and her obsession grew. She asked him to write his name down on a slip of paper one day, which he refused to do. He, like, thought it was fishy. But she somehow got his signature anyways, uh, somehow. And so then she got a tattoo of a rose on her shoulder with his name and his writing on it. Kind of a little creepy there but even though this was a huge red flag to him he continued the affair he was with her at work and then he was with her after work he was basically around her all the time and he claims that because of this his thinking was distorted diane got on a plane to try um another insemination again the the surrogacy places i think i want to say was in kentucky so she was getting going to kentucky to do these inseminations Anyway, she did another one that year because that one failed. And the night she left, her trailer mysteriously burnt down. Later on, it was discovered that Steve burnt the trailer down at her request so she could get the insurance money. He didn't do a great job. He left one of the doors open, so only part of the trailer burnt down, so it was still technically livable. And she only got $7,000 from the fire. But, you know, whatever, it was something. She failed again to conceive. And now she had a partially burnt trailer on her hands. Robert again tried to end the affair, and Diane had to find a better place to live, which for a while was with Steve. During this time, they fought often, and one time she tried to shoot him from inside her car. Like, he was outside, she came up in her car, had a gun, was trying to shoot at him. Steve jumped on the hood of her car, 
And then she started driving with him hanging off. He did some like tuck and roll, <laughs> got away. She left. The children saw all of this. They were screaming as they watched like basically their mom trying to kill her dad. Courtney, what is up with all this chaos? I think there are at least two things coming together here to cause chaos. The first has to do with the impulsivity and emotional reactivity that comes with personality disorders. In this case, where Diana's focused on trying to get her immediate needs and wants met. Um, She's not thinking about the consequences or the long-term impacts of her actions. She's just acting straight on feelings right now. Um, And then the second part is, I think, the relationship between Diane and Steve. For some reason, the combination of their specific personalities seems to bring out the worst in each other and always seems to result in conflict and violence. Yeah. Robert eventually moved out of his house and to an apartment on his own. He didn't want to divorce his wife, and he didn't want to marry Diane. He just continued to drink and sleep with Diane. They didn't have a deep relationship beyond that. I suspect they didn't really have much in common. Courtney, don't people with HPD struggle with actual depth of feelings or opinions? It certainly seems to fit what Robert is describing about with his relationship with Diane. She would talk at him, he said, but not with him. Yeah, so two of the required traits of histrionic personality diagnosis are shallow, rapidly shifting emotions and dramatic, impressionistic speech that lacks detail. So basically saying a lot of things that mean very little. Um, And the main purpose of communication um, for someone often with HPD is often to remain the center of attention rather than actually building emotional intimacy or caring much about the other person's thoughts or opinions. So someone with HPD might constantly stick themselves in situations just to remind the person about them all the time, and that's how they kind of force themselves into someone's life as opposed to actually having, you know, in-depth feelings. Like, he's describing that Diane's always there. He's at work all the time. She pushes him all the time to be with him after work, so it's like he can't not be around her and it's messing up his thinking yes so she compulsively Mm -hmm. is seeking his attention at all times and at the same time that other big piece of histrionic personality disorder is believing that relationships are more serious or intimate than they actually are so in her mind this relationship she has with rob is like Right now, the love of the her life relationship. They are going to be together forever. He loves her so much. And so he should want to be around her all mm-hmm. the time. So Diane pulled a dick move. Well, one of many, but she actually wrote a letter to Robert's wife. She sent two letters, in fact. The first letter was about how Robert was going to get a divorce. The next letter said that Robert's wife was a wonderful person that Diane respected. But then she'd also call the house a few times a day and hang up on um, Robert's wife. I don't know. In January 1983, Diane had the kids back. Apparently, they chose to live with Diane because they were afraid they would hurt her feelings if they chose Steve. At this time, Diane started a new venture. She opened her own surrogacy business in Arizona with her being the potential surrogate. It failed, and because she had started this business, she she potentially violated her contract with the other surrogacy program, and she was dropped from that program. It might have also helped that Robert's wife called the other program and told them that Diane had given her husband a venereal disease. So I'm sure it didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of made me, like, chuckle when I read that. 
Diane and Robert had a huge blow up when she stifled him to the point that he left the apartment one day. She jumped into her car and tried to block him in. He ended up having to like get on top of her car and then go over her car, walk to a payphone where he called his wife for a ride. Diane followed them and then spent hours banging on their door. Then she repeatedly called their house over and over. The next day, she went back in her male uniform and banged on the door until Robert's wife answered. After screaming at Robert's wife for a while, the other woman finally had it, told her to fuck off, and slammed the door in her face. This woman was so patient. Like, she was a saint. This would not have been the outcome had this been me as Robert's mom. I wouldn't have <laughs> stayed with that person. Same. Uh, anyhow, Courtney, is this typical of HPD? It sounds more like BPD to me, but you know, I'm not an expert. There's a lot of overlapping features between histrionic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder, such as emotional instability and intense and unstable relationships. That's something that is seen often in both. Um, and I can really see how Diane's behavior could seem like a BPD rage reaction to feeling abandoned. However, when looking at it through the HPD lens, it fits within the trait of having, quote, exaggerated and theatrical expression of emotions. So Diane was triggered by feeling rejected by Robert, and she expressed this anger and fear in a way that was very clearly over the top. So maybe her motivation was different, like with a BPD feeling like um, being abandoned and doing something like this. It's more like of a desperate feeling that and the world's going to end if I don't get this person to take me back now because they're going to abandon me. This sounds more like she was just very, very angry. Right. And different feelings for the same kind of response. Right. And it does, you know, in a similar way, come back to that rejection because of that need to be, you know, the center of attention Mm -hmm. and needing to kind of having this almost delusional belief in the seriousness of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree, yeah, it is more of a an anger response, like the anger welled up really big mm-hmm. and then was First expressed up. in a ginormous way that yeah. was completely inappropriate and then sort of Damn went away yeah. just as fast. Well, throughout this time, I think Diane, part of her was like, I need to maybe make a change so she decided it was time to leave Arizona it was probably a rash decision made when she and Robert were fighting when Robert of course resumed the affair with Diane she moved in with him for the two weeks that before she was getting ready to move during that time he gave her his solid gold chain and got the rose tattoo on his shoulder (sighs) her transfer request had come through Robert asked her to get out of it, but she was unable to. So she was going to go to Oregon. It was done. The timing was not good. Robert finally made some sort of commitment to her. Courtney's guy's driving me crazy. What do you think is up with him? I mean, Diane could be very manipulative and beguiling. That's one of the, you know, key characteristics of histrionic personality disorder. And it seems like Robert was just very susceptible to her wiles. And probably one of those things where when she was in the room with him, he his thinking was kind of distorted mm-hmm. and he was able to be manipulated. And then the times that he was away from her, he could see clearly that mm-hmm. like this was not a good thing. Yeah, because he flip-flops a lot. Yes. I mm-hmm. mean, he got, he got that rose tattoo. 
All right. Well, don't get tattoos or temporary relationships. (laughs) Diane was excited to go to Oregon. Her parents lived there. That's why she chose Oregon. And she thought Robert was going to be right behind her. Like she thought that he was going to move with her later on. She was under the impression that he was committed to her, that he would leave his wife, move to Oregon and be with her and her kids. Of course, you know, that didn't work out. As soon as Diane was gone, Robert said he could think clearly again. He decided to make things right with his wife. He wanted to stay with her. He would not be following Diane to Oregon after all. Big shocker, this guy is as fickle as they come. Sort of like Romeo. A little bit. (laughs) Of course, Diane called Robert every day from Oregon and sent him many letters and cards. When he told her over the phone that it was over, she did not believe him. He started to refuse her calls at work and refuse her mail. Diane had let him $500 before she left for him to get to Oregon or pay off any debts he had in Arizona. He sent her a check for that amount to prove that he was not coming. In a last-ditch effort, Diane went out to Arizona and tracked Robert down on his mail route. They had a stilted 20-minute conversation where he refused to touch her, and she gave him back his chain. She went back to Oregon. She wasn't done scheming yet. She had one more idea to get Robert back. So we're going to fast-forward a little bit to May 19th, 1983. Diane has been in Oregon for a little while. She's a letter carrier for the Cottage Grove Post Office, which is a town just south of Eugene. She's good at her job. She and her three children live in a dwelling in Springfield, and on this particular day, they drove out to Diane's friend's house to drop off a newspaper clipping. Diane's friend had horses, and the kids were petting them and having a good time. Diane and the kids um, leave, but instead of going home, Diane decides to take them on a some old windy roads to go quote sightsee now right here is a big red flag because it's dark at this point it's like 9 30 10 o'clock at night who goes sightseeing with three young children this late at night well we've seen that diane isn't a normal person so they're puttering around on marcola road a rural area with few if any streetlights. when suddenly a shaggy haired stranger appears and flags down diane's car cheryl is asleep in the front seat while christy and danny are in the back Why wouldn't a young woman with three sleeping children this late at night stop on a pitch black road for a stranger? Well, according to Diane, she did just that. Her story goes that the man demanded she hand over her car. She refuses him, to which the man decides to shoot each of her three children in the car and then take a shot at Diane. Diane, to distract the man, pretends to throw her keys, and when he is looking for them, she hops into the car and races to the hospital, which is not very far away. Unbeknownst to Diane, a car behind hers will notice her Arizona plates and will notice that the car is driving at a measly eight miles an hour. This car follows Diane until it's safe to pass. I think he said like two or three minutes. After Diane, quote, races her children to the hospital, she screams for help. She's also heard yelling, call the cops. He shot my kids. It's mayhem at the ER entrance at the small town hospital. They are faced with three small children who were shot multiple times and a mother with an injured arm running around screaming. As the emergency room employees helped remove the children from the car, they noticed that the one in the front seat, Cheryl, was not moving at all. Tragically, Diane's middle child, her problematic, unloved child, had succumbed to her injuries. She was pronounced dead soon after arrival. Danny and Christy were taken in and were still alive, although Christy was in very critical condition. All medical personnel were called to the ER, and doctors who were off-duty were summoned to the hospital. This was a situation that this hospital had not really dealt with before. It was not common to treat three children with gunshot wounds at the same time. 
I want to note that the men and women who worked on these children did everything that they could with what they had and are heroes in my mind. I encourage you to read that book, Small Sacrifices, for more information on that hellish and tragic night because it goes pretty in detail of what happened, who did what, and the just chaos and emotions that were occurring that night in that hospital. But Courtney, I think I'm going to stop here for the day. Um, Do you want to add anything? I just wanted um, to, I think I remember you saying that you actually know someone who actually was working in that hospital that night? Not that night. Oh, okay. But during that time. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. So Mm -hmm. my old boss... (laughs) who sometimes listens to this podcast. Um, I think he said he was on a fishing trip this particular night, but he was back um, while the kids were there in the ICU. And um, he remembers Diane and that she was running around like crazy all the time. Um, They were concerned about her being around her children. They weren't letting her in the ICU, um, all kinds of stuff. So yes, in a way, but he wasn't there the night that they came in. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. And yeah. I know we're going to delve a little bit more into what happens mm-hmm. after they're dropped off in the ER Yep. next time. Yes. So anyways, I, it's kind of a little bit of a cliffhanger, but we will wrap up everything in part four. And yeah, anything else? Nope, that's all I got. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, I encourage you to research this case on your own. There's a lot of interviews. There's a lot of stuff to read. It's really, really interesting. Um, I, I We thought that it was more well-known than it is. So if you haven't heard of Diane Dance, at least go check out what she looks like. Yes. And, you know, watch some of the interviews and watch how she, she I don't know if the way that she does interview, because um, you saw a couple of them, is that typical of histrionic personality disorder? That kind of vapid I don't even know how to describe her. Or do you think she's just beyond? Yeah. Well, what, you know, if you look at the interviews, what you see is she is making a lot of proclamations of things. Mm -hmm. Um, She is making some like dramatic conclusions about things or Mm -hmm. connections that aren't really there. Um, And a lot of her talk about what happened is all relating back to how she was feeling and experiencing things. Uh-huh. So yeah, and it, that does. it sense, all comes back to her. It's very much a representative of kind of HPD of, like I said, like that impressionistic talk that's mm-hmm. not actually very detailed and doesn't actually say very much. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what we see. Do you think that she also has narcissism? I think she definitely would score highly on, on the trait of narcissism. Okay. Well, maybe we'll get more into that next episode. Yes, I think we will. Okay. Well, um, please like, listen, follow all of that stuff. You can find our social media information in our show notes, or we're just pretty obvious. We're at addicted to murder (laughs) pretty much everywhere or addicted to M. Thank you for listening. Be safe. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.